situation. All right, let us begin. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask your blessing on our efforts again today, as always. Help us to understand some of the details of this letter, which is the most important of all of Paul's letters. So we ask your blessing to help us open our minds and our hearts to accept and hear what you want us to hear, regardless of what is said up here. So we thank you for this time together, and we thank you and praise you and all for it. in Jesus' name. Well, how many of you really understand Paul's letter to the Romans? It is the most important of all of his 13 letters. Uh, and one of those that I really like the best because it has really some meat in it. And unfortunately, I think he gobbles it up with a lot of uh, duplication and intentions that we may not be aware of. So it helps to give a little background on this letter. Uh, for example, if Paul is writing this letter to Roman converts, that is Greek-speaking Roman converts, how could you expect him to, uh, or these converts, to know Jewish history and the Jewish Bible, or Jewish scriptures? And yet he refers to them many, many times throughout uh, this letter. Well, it requires a little bit of understanding and background, a little research here. Paul did not know these people. He had never established any of the churches in Rome. Uh, we don't even know if he'd ever been to Rome or not. I would assume that given the rest of his education and background that he probably was, but not in any official capacity. Uh, but yet there was a very vibrant Roman community of Christians. And so where did they come from? Well, we know from other letters that there were a number of Jewish people, Jewish converts, in Rome. Now we're talking about Jewish converts in Rome. And they were the ones who, who started the churches in various parts of Rome. But in the year 54, or about that time, Emperor Claudius expelled all the Jews from Rome. And so they had to migrate back to Israel. Among them was a couple, husband and wife, by the name of Priscilla and Aquila. And they are mentioned in a couple of the other letters. They were very instrumental in leading the churches in Rome. We don't know who actually brought uh, the Christian faith to Rome. Here we go. Here we go again. Let's kind of start over again. The churches in Rome were established long before Paul ever got a wind of or the idea of writing a letter to them. His purpose in writing the letter was to make friends with the people there and establish his uh, authority and his place in the overall Christian church with the further intentions of going to Spain at some future date. And he was hoping that by establishing himself in Rome and with the people there, the Christians there, that he would gain their support and their help in his um, attempt to evangelize in Spain. Well, that never happened. He never got to Spain uh, for other reasons. But at least that was his intentions of writing the letter in the first place. So it 
might explain why he goes into a great deal uh, of detail because he wanted these people to understand that he knew what he was talking about. Well, he probably knew far more than most anyone else. Uh, and that is why the letter is more like an essay or a teaching than it is a uh, hello, how are you type of letter. Um, the thing is here, that doesn't answer the question that comes to most people's mind is how could you expect the Roman converts to know Jewish history? Well, it is the people that came from Israel, such as Priscilla and Aquila and others, who taught them using uh, the understanding of their uh, ideas of Jewish history and Jewish scripture to explain the conversion or the fulfillment of those scriptures uh, by Jesus Christ and the importance of believing in Jesus Christ for eternal life. That is the whole essence of this letter, is the whole idea of teaching the fact that the Roman, I mean the Jewish laws, the Mosaic law has now been fulfilled by Jesus Christ, and it is only by believing in him and following his teachings that we can enjoy eternal life after the end of our term here in this life. So that's kind of the background of why Paul was able to use a lot of Jewish scriptures to explain the same kinds of things. Obviously, he is repeating himself as far as the uh, Roman converts are concerned. But obviously, this letter is not written just for those people. It is the summary of Christian beliefs at that particular time. <clears throat> now, he mentions the fact, the gospel. In fact, one of the main topics of the early part of this Bible is humanity is lost without the gospel. All right. Now, he is not talking about the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, and John, because they had not been written yet. So what gospel is he talking about? You have to go back to and remember that I mentioned that the word gospel comes from a derivative of the term good news. Right. And if you think about it, the good news is that Jesus Christ <clears throat> has now fulfilled all of the prophecies and predictions of the Jewish scripture and is now open to receiving anybody and everybody who is interested in accepting him and following his ways. That is the good news. The word gospel comes from the Jewish, I'm sorry, from the German words for good news, which is gut spiel, G-U-T-T with the little uh, characteristic over the double T, and don't ask me how to spell spiel, I don't remember. Uh, S, I think it's S-C-H-P-I-E-L, but I'm not certain of that, all right? But it means good news, and that is where we get the word gospel from. Some people think that the word gospel comes from the word ghost or holy ghost. No, uh, there is a similarity because the word ghost in German is Geist. My mother was German, and I used to know a few words. Yeah. Not many. Um, sort of lost track of my thought here. Anyways, so trying to understand uh, this letter 
helps, like I said, if we know a little bit about the background. But you might be able to say that uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, though long as it is, and detailed as it is, can be summed up probably in two or three sentences. That is, the acceptance of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life and death and purpose of Jesus Christ, and then the following through with observing the teachings of Christ. And that, if we go through here, and I want to talk about some of the details. I'm not going to read all of uh, this because I'm sure, and I just know you have read all of it, I'm sure. Um, so, but there are certain uh, points, I think, that we really need to talk about. Any questions so far? Yes. Uh, well, in the, in the long way of thinking, Gene just asked here and used a term that we don't hear quite often. Uh, he, he said the Jewish people that were in Rome were they part of the remnants? Uh, in Jewish history, the idea of the remnants is actually those people who returned from Babylon to Israel back in the 6th century. Okay, And they are the ones that kept the faith all during the exile in Babylon, which was just short of 50 years, and then brought it back uh, to Israel after their release by um, Cyrus the Great. Okay. Like I said, I'm not going to go and do a lot of reading. I'm going to talk about some of these things here as listed in this uh, handout for today. The power of salvation. Well, the power of salvation really is our acceptance of Christ as the Savior, the one who fulfilled Jewish prophecy and became the sacrificial lamb or the great sacrifice of a perfect divine offering back to a perfect and divine God uh, on behalf of the sins of all mankind uh, before Christ during that time period and until the end of time. Uh, this is something new uh, in a way to the uh, Roman converts because they had not heard of that kind of thing. The other thing that we have to keep in mind is that Hellenism also affected the people in Rome, but not near as much as in Turkey or, or what was Turkey at that time uh, and some of the far-reaching uh, ends of the Roman Empire. But they were far more uh, formalized in Roman education and Greek education. So they were much more... Uh, or much better equipped to understand some of the difficulties of the Christian faith because it was something brand new in many ways and not always to not always easy to understand. Um, God's judgment and judgment. All right. There are two main um, avenues of judgment. And that is, we are going to be judged on how we fulfill the natural moral law that is built into all of us as human beings. And then uh, the Mosaic law, the understanding of the Mosaic law. One of the things that we have to keep in mind is that 
Paul is not putting down Judaism or the Mosaic law. He is trying to convince all of his listeners, whether they are Jew or Greek, that the Mosaic law has now been fulfilled by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that's what really got him in the hot water with the Jewish officials. Because they are were so bound by Jewish law that it was like they were chained to it and would not give it up. They did not open their mind and their heart to what and who Jesus Christ was. They were looking for somebody <clears throat> more like King David had been way back in the 10th century. They were looking for somebody who would come in and rout out the Romans and restore Israel to a sovereign nation uh, with power and dignity in the eyes of all of the rest of the world. And of course, that wasn't God's intention in his plan of salvation from the beginning. Yes? Well, that was the more important, yes, reason behind their actions. Of course, they had to be a little careful about it, but yes, they were uh, protecting their position, their prestige, their honor, their jobs. Yes, that was very important. Uh, but there were others too. And also you have to remember that the majority of the population um, in Israel could not read or write. And so they had to follow the leaders. And that's why Jesus uh, quite openly condemned the Jewish leaders in many ways or chastised them. Uh, he did not go after the people who could not read or write because they had to follow the leaders for lack of any other experience. Um, the answers to, uh, there were an, a number of questions in this letter uh, of Paul to the Romans, and they're in forms of a question. Why should we do this? Well, what's the purpose of that? Why should we continue so forth and so on? He wanted the people to think. The questions often cause us to stop and think, well, why were we this way? Or why should we do it this way instead of that way? Uh, rather than just reading, he wanted them to open up their minds and to, to think. So the idea of salvation through the gospel of Jesus Christ only. All right. Keep in mind that it is the good news, not the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. The next item was the universal bondage to sin. That, that was always sort of the difficult part of Jewish law. They were so bound by laws um, and cultural um, restrictions that it was, and I've used this term quite often, it was almost difficult for them to breathe without offending something. If you think about the 613 laws that are in the Talmud, uh, you would really want try to understand how could the Jewish people actually breathe if they tried to uh, observe all of those laws. Just to digress a little bit, I think I've mentioned this before, there's a very interesting book by an author, his last name is Jacobs, I forgot the first name, it's called uh, A Year of Living the, the Bible, A Year of Living the Bible biblically or, or something very close to that. 
it's actually a humorous book, but what this man has tried to do in modern times, particularly in New York City, is to live according to the Jewish laws as stated in the Talmud. And one of them was he could not wear any clothes that were made from other than uh, cotton, wool, or linen. And of course, you know, most of our clothes today have all kinds of uh, artificial uh, fabrics in them, you know, nylon, acrylic, and so forth and so on. Uh, so he had to wear white garments most of the time that were made out of cotton. Well, wearing a white garment in New York City in the wintertime, you know, uh, is uh, not very comfortable. Uh, so if you want to read a very funny book, and yet it's serious because of the message in it, uh, I would highly recommend that. Yeah, it's easy to read and, and quite humorous, some of the problems that he gets into. Okay. <clears throat> the more important question here for today, or the subject today, is the subject of justification. Now, we've all heard that, we've mentioned it before, but Paul's letter goes into a great deal of detail on this subject of justification. And what is this subject to get? Let me diagram... Um, a little bit here. Uh, justification can be sort of diagrammed in a way of looking like this. I've done this before, but it's sort of important here. <clears throat> that we start out at a given point. Right. Heaven is up here. And you know what is down here. Justification can be sort of described as a road that leads to heaven. But we are given free will. And so God has given us the various parameters and or through Jesus Christ, that is, in order to get here. And he has given us help through grace. But he's not forcing anybody one way or the other. He is holding out eternal life to mankind and knowing that there is this pull to go down here by the evil one, the devil. A lot of people just kind of poo-poo the whole idea of the devil being uh, a real spirit. Believe me, it is. All right. And the constant pull, the yin and yang, between here and here is a constant battle in life. So the justification comes in in our desire, or hopefully our desire, to get to heaven. And God is saying, I will help you all the way, but I'm not going to force you. You have to do your part. The devil is saying, don't worry about all of that, you know, come my way. Do things my way. It's a lot easier, it's more fun, and et cetera, et cetera. I think we have a great deal of that today. Uh, and, uh, but do you get the point here of what we're talking about? I hope that you do because it is interesting and it is important that we understand and, uh, and follow it. Okay. <coughs> He gives us now a number of illustrations of what justification through faith 
in God is all about. It goes all the way back to Abraham. Abraham was God's way of beginning his plan of salvation. And how God chose Abraham, we have no idea. Uh, But Abraham was uh, a very faithful person who, when you think about it, took uh, upon God's urging, picked up his whole family and moved from the land of Ur, which is somewhere over in the area of, of Iraq or Iran today, and moved everything, uh, family, servants, flocks, etc., uh, to Israel because this is what God wanted and Abraham obeyed. Abraham was then tested by a number of other things. His uh, relationship with his nephew Lot from the Sodom and Gomorrah story. And also when God asked him to sacrifice his own only son, Isaac, uh, that was a test. But Abraham didn't know that at the time, and yet he was willing to be obedient. That is an example of justification in action. The obedience to God's will, even though it would represent a tremendous hardship or sorrow uh, on our part. We are in Paul goes into a great deal of uh, talk about inheritance, inheritance through faith. We have, we, that is, Christians today who truly accept the Christian faith and understand it have become inheritance of this whole desire here to reach heaven through the life, death, and resurrection and teachings of Jesus Christ and his church. Remember, the church is an extension of Christ. So if you are, if you have truly a relationship with Christ, you should then be able to appreciate the teachings and the formalities of the church. That doesn't mean you have to like and represent, or like and respect what some of the people who run the church uh, have said or done. But look at the church as God's instrument. Thank you. So we are inheritance of that from Judaism. A lot of people don't like that idea, but you cannot run down Judaism. It is like the roots of a beautiful plant. Christianity is now the blossoming of a beautiful tree, let's put it that way. But Judaism was the roots. And without the roots, the tree would never have sprung up and been there. So we cannot put down Judaism whatsoever. And yet so many people do. Uh, It's unfortunate. Um, but our roots are actually in Judaism. But Judaism could never fulfill all of God's plan of salvation. It required a divine sacrifice that none of the Jewish people or anyone else for that matter had. So God had to give us something that was pure and divine and acceptable to fulfill the sacrifice that was needed to make reparation for the sins of all mankind. And so he had to give us himself through Jesus Christ. And we then have become what is often referred to as God's adopted children because of the idea of the door being opened uh, by Christ to all of mankind. 
whereas Judaism was a very uh, exclusive community. They did not fulfill their obligation in many ways, and the leaders were really put down. That didn't mean that Jesus was against Judaism. He was against the way the rulers were leading the people. And the fact that uh, the temple was destroyed in the year 70 AD was, was because it was being used for purposes other than what God intended. It was used as a symbol of pride uh, for the Jewish leaders and a number of other things that uh, were not acceptable to God himself. And therefore, uh, some people have asked me, well, why did it take God 40 years uh, from the time of Christ and the crucifixion to the year 70 when the Romans destroyed the temple? I said, well, typically in uh, God's way of doing things, he always allows some time for people to reason out and come to their senses. So it took the proverbial or biblical 40 years, uh, and it did not happen. The Jewish leaders still did not accept Christ, even though they saw uh, the death and resurrection, or they were instrumental and caused the death and resurrection of the Messiah, and the growth of Christianity uh, during that first 40 years, and still they did not accept it. And therefore, uh, through the instrument uh, of the Romans, the temple was destroyed. But we, that is, we Christians are the inheritance of the promises of Judaism. <clears throat> the other thing that was new in a way um, is the idea of faith, hope, and love. Christian love. The Jewish people did not understand and did not have a sense of love of neighbor, love of anyone and everyone to some degree. Uh, when we talk about biblical love, as I've often said, but it seems to be needed to be repeated, biblical love does not mean uh, affection. Affection can be included in that, but does not necessarily require affection. You do not have to be... Uh, nicey nice to uh, some roughy guy down the street or you know the person at the supermarket that is kind of I have one cashier in mind that whenever you go there she always looks like she's ready to bite somebody's head off uh, but the Jewish people were that way in, in many regards they were not open and what God wanted was mankind to be open to all neighbor and show dignity and respect for each other, regardless of whether or not you know them or have any uh, personal relationship with them. Um, and that was shown uh, in many ways. One of them, of course, was Abraham uh, way back uh when he was in the tent uh, and they were migrating from one place to another and he sees three strangers outside. So he runs and calls them in and wants them to uh, spend some time with them, partly because he wanted information from the outside world in that particular time period, strangers always brought new information and ideas and so forth from different parts. Of course, these strangers were uh, angels in, in disguise. Uh, 
but that was very, very rare in Jewish society. Again, I'll pause here for a moment. Any questions? Excuse me. Let me go through a little bit here. I want there's a couple things I wanted to read. spot in particular. Any questions? Don't be afraid to ask questions, but uh, are you beginning to... Yes, Mike? Yes. But Judaism has sort of, except for a very small uh, group of people uh, you know, the ultra-conservative Jews. Judaism has sort of dwindled down to being a culture rather than a religion. You don't have a lot of formal formality in Jewish faith any longer as they used to. I remember years ago, particularly in uh, the East Coast area, uh, particularly the Hasidic Jews, those that wore the, the black uh, coats and, you know, the uh, wide-brimmed hats and the curls and so forth and so on. Uh, and they would walk to uh, synagogue every Saturday. And there was a great deal of formality. You don't see that much anymore at all. Uh, and here on the West Coast, you see virtually none. It's pretty much a cultural thing. But to answer your question, yes, they are still waiting for a messiah. Yeah. Uh, when we lived, was in the Navy and lived in San Diego, there was a lot of Jewish, Jewish people there. Yeah. Very nice. And they had a big Masonic temple. This mm -hmm. beautiful. You mean in Cedar Yeah, in Right. Yeah, in San Diego. Yeah. All right. Uh, even though you may see, I know that... Um, on Wilshire Boulevard in Los Angeles, there is a Jewish temple. Well, there technically is no more temples. The temple of Jerusalem was destroyed, as I said earlier, in the year 70 AD by the Romans, uh, and never to be rebuilt. Okay. That is where the main... Uh, justification and the Christian life. One of the things that I have a difficulty with is when I hear people say, I'm a Christian. And I, in fact, I'm thinking of a particular person who will come right up to you and look you in the face about that far and say, I am a really good Christian. <laughs> uh, you know, it's a little exaggerated, but uh, not much. Uh, and all I have to do is look back at this person and say, when's the last time you were, went to church? <laughs> well, well, I can't do that. In fact, I, this, is, this is a real point. I asked her one time why she didn't go to church. And I said, there is a bus that leaves here at 9 o'clock and goes to St. Clair for the 9.30 Mass every Sunday. Well, she says, well, I can't get my hair done by that time. <laughs> the thing is, just believing is not enough. You have to follow through in everyday life, in your actions and in your speech to reflect your belief in Christ. And... Christianity. And I've heard a lot of people say, well, my faith is my personal business and I'm not going to uh, do anything about broadcasting it. Well, 
you don't have to broadcast it, but you do have to live it. And that is by opening up your mind and your heart to others. And when you have an opportunity, or the opportunity arises where you are challenged to protect your faith, you have to open up and actually explain where you're coming from. Uh, I think we've all heard people say, well, all Christian faiths are pretty much the same, aren't they? No, definitely not. But you don't need to get into a big fight about it. Uh, the thing is, you should be prepared to say, no, I don't believe that for whatever reason. Um, I don't think that anyone is expected to to actually get into a battle over it, but you do have to admit that you are a Christian, a Catholic, and that you are living up to your faith. Now, I live, as you all probably know, over at Mistywood, a community of 120 people or so, and I make no bones about uh, going to church every morning for me. Uh, and it's gotten so people say, well, gee, have you been back already? And they know. And so I've had people come up to me and ask questions. You know, they are a little timid about doing so, but they ask, and I have no problem explaining them. Sit down, if you've got a couple hours, you know, I'll tell you. Uh, uh, because you know me, I can't cut, keep my mouth shut. You know? So, but and not everyone is expected to be as open and vocal as I am about it. Uh, but you should be willing and able to express uh, your faith. And the other thing is, the other side of the coin here is sin. We have to admit that there is sin in the world and we can become victims of it uh, if we are not diligent and watch what we do. Uh, what One of the big gripes, and ladies don't jump on me, but I'm going to say something here that really bothers me about the accusations that are coming out of the woodwork from all different sources uh, towards various uh, men who have been, for example, Joe Biden, you know, he always was very, rather demonstrative in his affection and friendliness with people. Uh, but was, there was nothing personally intended. But now you have a lot of accusations. Well, but at the same time, you know, women don't want to, women in general, now not you specific ladies, but uh, women in general uh, want men to be strong, but not too strong, don't, you know, don't get too close. Yeah. Uh, and yet some of them, young people today, will wear some of the most provocative clothing you ever saw in your life uh, that actually has written all over it, come here and touch me, babe. <laughs> so, my point is, and I, I don't want to get, you know, down to too much detail here, but my point is, we can't criticize people on one side and then provoke them on the other side. We have to be very careful about what we do so that we are not projecting out something that we say we don't believe in. Now, we have, we know what is right and wrong. We all are built in with a certain idea of what is right and wrong. Do we live by it? And many people say no. Uh, we don't have to live by it. It's no fun to live by it. Yeah. Um, quite often, people will say, well, 
How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing fine. Well, that's good. Keep it up. Well, no, it's boring. Uh, and sometimes being a good person is boring. But that's what God is asking of you. All right. Acquaintance with sin through the law, that is the moral law, or the teachings of Christ. How often do we ignore a lot of the teachings of Christ and his church simply because we don't want to bother? Right now, during the time of Lent, there are certain restrictions, or there are certain uh, rules and regulations that the church has offered. They are a lot more relaxed now than they were 40, 50 years ago. Uh, but it seems that the more relaxed the church becomes in its requirements, uh, the more we seem to ignore all of them. But for example, now, for people under the age of 60, uh, there is the whole idea of fasting on occasions and abstinence from, from meat. Well, abstinence from meat is on Good Friday and uh, Ash Wednesday. And it is recommended that you abstain from meat on Friday. It used to be every day was allowed meat only once. And it used to be, you know, every day of the entire season of Lent and other things. But you can do other things instead. The Stations of the Cross, an extra rosary, an extra few prayers. Do something that will cause you to remember that this is a season of penance. Doesn't mean that you, you know, have to go around with sackcloth and ashes. But I think you are missing out on the beauty of the season if you don't do at least some little thing that you don't normally do the rest of the year. <laughs> I think Paul gets rather into a lot of detail on the whole idea of sin and death. He is not talking about physical death. He is talking about spiritual death, the death of the soul when it slides down to this end of the road. Remember, this is to be looked at as a road. A road directed to heaven or a road directed to the opposite. Uh, there is no in-between. When we die, it's one or the other. Yeah, there's a side uh, trip here to purgatory for some. Uh, I won't get into that. Uh, but there's, you know, it's one place or the other. And many people just don't want to bother thinking about that. Well, you have to. You don't have a lot of choice. And if you leave it to the last minute, your time is up. And you don't have time uh, to do much about it. So begin, and there's one of the passages or one of the Gospels that talk about now is the time for this and for that. And it means now, today, beginning right today. Don't wait until, uh, you know, the weather is better or uh, you feel better or this thing is no longer uh, consuming your time, etc., etc. The flesh and the spirit. Well, I think we've talked about that right there. Children of God through adoption. The whole idea of adoption in this term is used quite often. People do not seem to understand it. Uh, the whole term refers to the fact that Christians and 
the Christian faith, the Catholic faith, is open to all people of all races, nationalities, ages, etc. Whereas Judaism was not. And Judaism was the original people of God. We are now the people of God by adoption through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Anybody have a problem with that and does not understand that? And, of course, what that means is that the glory that we are looking forward to is the end result of reaching the end of this road up here, not down there. Simple as that. Paul goes into a great deal of verbiage trying to explain this. And next week when we get into chapters 9 through 11, which are probably the most important part of the entire letter, you'll even see more of this. But despite all of the nitty-gritty that is talked about, God's love uh, is without any measurement, any bounds. God's love is open to us all. And it is something that we can never, never uh, say that we can't reach out. Because regardless of what we do, God is always there ready, willing to uh, give us a hand. When I open my computer, there is sort of a, a picture that is changes quite frequently, but one of them comes on and it shows two people hiking on a mountaintop. And one person has already reached that and the other person is struggling to get up. So there's a hand that is being held out for this person to struggle up the rest of the way and get there. You have that too? Yeah. And it always reminds me of this whole idea right here of God being the person with the hand out. And we are willing, or we should be willing to take that hand and be pulled up, but God is not forcing us. And that's the way this whole thing is. The love of God is always there, but it is not going to force you into anything that you may not want. But you have to know what the consequences are of not accepting as well. Right. Well, that is the last part. As the most important part. If we take it seriously, uh, many people, unfortunately young people today, and you can, you can see this in how people act in church on Sunday, many people, many people are there simply to fulfill an obligation or simply to go because their mother and their father insisted or their spouse insisted that they go with them. And they have no idea of what the heck is going on. And they could care less. And that goes right against this here. Thank you. We have to know and understand what we're doing and why we do it. And that requires a little bit of instruction, a little bit of time in understanding and thinking about and praying about it. Because just to live on a day-to-day -day basis from Sunday to Sunday without ever paying any attention to God whatsoever is not going to get us up that hill to the cross. The love of God is always open. I think we've 
gotten as far as I had intended, perhaps we should have gone further. But are there any questions on this subject? It is vitally important. I don't want to undermine it in any way or diminish it in any way because it is so important to all of us. I have noticed uh, upon reading this and listening uh, on this uh, Roman that uh, Paul actually mentioned a lot about the angels, about what he spoke. Yes, yes. Uh, Mildred just mentioned that Paul mentions the Holy Spirit a great deal. And that's, we, years ago, we used to refer to the Holy Spirit as the forgotten God. Uh, because prior to Vatican II, uh, the Holy Spirit was not talked about a great deal. And that's a very big mistake. Because as the diagram that I gave you right in the first meeting, seems like so long ago, uh, shows that the time after Christ's death and resurrection and Pentecost Sunday, the time from that point on is what is often referred to as the last days because it is the time of the Holy Spirit. And we should be praying to the Holy Spirit for uh, guidance, direction, for strength and help to get through uh, our everyday life. Uh, how many of you actually do spend any time praying to the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is it right that uh, I thought I, I saw I saw writing about the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit in Isaiah? Oh, so well. It has been mentioned ever since before Jesus Christ even said, I will give you the Holy Spirit to guide and counsel you. Well, yes, yes, but in a different, with a different understanding. All right. Mildred's uh, statement here is that she has read that in Isaiah, the prophet of the Old Testament, one of the most important prophets of the Old Testament, the term Holy Spirit is used there. And if you notice, it does, is not capitalized. The, the, whole, the word holy and, and spirit are not capitalized. And that is because the belief of the Jewish people is that there is only one God, but he is often referred, referred to as the Holy Spirit in, in a more generalized term or understanding because they had no idea of the Holy Spirit as being a separate person within the Trinity as we do today. And even many Christian denominations do not accept uh, or have any understanding of the Holy Spirit even today. Yeah. So that is why if you see the term Holy Spirit used within the context of the Old Testament, it is because they talk about God in general as being the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Any other questions? Just a comment, Mark. We started today with a little discussion about the couple, and I can never remember names, who went to Rome. Aquila and Priscilla. And it's always been amazing to me that in 20 to 30 years, Christianity spread for the whole known world. And I said, well, Paul didn't do all that. And I know we had the apostles going out, but still, it was a miracle that it happened. And you gave us an insight this morning that would be like uh, groups from Israel went to Rome mm -hmm. to spread the faith. So yes. Everybody was spreading the faith, not yeah. just Paul and the gospel. Yes, yes. Everybody seemed to be enjoying their newfound gold mine, so to speak, uh, their newfound faith, because it was liberating in many ways. Jewish faith was so binding and so restrictive 
that it wasn't a fun thing. Uh, whereas when Paul started talking about it was no longer to observe the strictness of much of the uh, Mosaic law and Christianity came along and showed why because Christ had fulfilled a lot of those rules and regulations it opened the door to a lot of people and gave them direction without binding them and so it is interesting in a way you're right so Christianity spread because people were uh, enjoying the freedom of that and also having guidance and direction uh, of the goal at the end of the road. Yeah. Important point. So, yes, the Holy Spirit was working overtime in that first year. Yeah. And that is why we should spend time in, in praying to the Holy Spirit for guidance, particularly when it comes to something uh, relative to fulfilling our role, our obligations uh, of our faith. Uh, any other questions? Well, I just hate to leave you go too early. <laughs> but next week, we will take up the second half of Romans and then being the last week of this session I'd like to hear from you what you would like to discuss in any future uh, classes of this kind of the adult Bible study program. Now that doesn't mean that we are committing ourselves um, and that there definitely will be. But I'd like to get your ideas as to what you would like to see. To see. I know that uh, Doris mentioned that she would like to study uh, 1 and 2 Samuel and, and Kings. Uh, and that's, uh, well, Kings are not that, to me, interesting, but 1 and 2 Samuel is. But uh, that's one subject. Uh, what might the rest of you be interested in? Anyone? Yeah, the saints. No interest? <laughs> the, the saints? The saints. <laughs> All right. Well, what's that? We already did marry. Yeah. Yes, we did, Mary. Um, the saints, well, they're a little difficult to talk about unless you narrow it down to specific saints. Uh, and, of course, not all the saints were... Uh, well, let me give you an interesting point. Some of our greatest saints were also the greatest sinners before they finally got religion. Okay. St. Paul for one. Here is a man who actually persecuted uh, the Christians and was there at the time of the stoning of St. Stephen and seemed to condone what was going on. All right. So, and look at what happened to him after Christ got a hold of him and put some sense into his head. But you have a number of people like that. Look at St. Francis of Assisi, one of our, our greatest uh, proponents of, of the poor and charity and living a simple life. He was a man that had all kinds of wealth from his family and uh, used it rather generously. We have uh, a number of St. Ignatius Loyola was the same way, and a number of others. God chooses simple people, 
or God chooses some of the worst, you might say, to become one of the best. And that is because these people, once they get the understanding of who Christ is and accept that, then they constantly look back at what they were and the humility that comes from that understanding of where they were and where they are now propels them to continue living the life of a saint. Um, I think that is a very important thing to understand, that one of the basic ingredients of sainthood is humility. Humility. So, yes, the saints have a lot to teach us, but in a group of this kind, I don't think that that would be, uh, well, we'll see. I won't, I won't say no. All right. Anyone else have an idea? Yes, Dale? It's interesting that in the genealogy of Christ that is in Matthew's Gospel, he only mentions two women. Actually three, but one is a little vague. Uh, and both of those were women of, uh, let's say, ill repute. But as Gail just pointed out, they were used uh, by God uh, and became very important uh, members uh, of his following. So uh, it's important. God can change any one of us from any level of holiness or sinfulness uh, when he wants to for his purpose. And we should be willing to be part of that. Yes, John? Yes, that I, I agree with you. That is a very important Bible. There's a lot of the Old Testament that I think we should be aware of. The book of Deuteronomy, for example, is of very great importance because of much of our rules and regulations come from the book of Deuteronomy uh, with a little twist here and there. Okay. All right. Again, I hate to let you leave so early, but next week uh, will be our last week in this session, and we will finish up uh, Paul's letter to the Romans, and we will say farewell then. So let's end with a prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we thank you for helping us to open our minds and our hearts to Paul's letter to the Romans, help us then to reread it from the beginning with perhaps a new understanding of what gospel meant to him and what the commitment to you means for us. So we thank you for this time together. We ask that you continue to bless us and may your Holy Spirit guide us always. We thank you and praise you in all things in Jesus' name.